Ladies and gentlemen, welcome. We appreciate you being here. Once again, I apologize for uh, my brain, body, and basic demeanor. Uh, I'm having trouble moving right now and thinking and talking, so this should go really well is what I'm saying. Right? We're continuing our prologue to Messiah series today. Today we're talking about this concept of Jesus as the Lamb of God. And we're going to start off right with this. John the Baptist sees Jesus coming to him. And the next day he saw Jesus coming towards him and he cries out, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Jesus and his coming is announced in this way. The one who came before him, whose entire purpose was to announce the coming of him, chose to announce him as the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And that's awesome. And I love it. But some things we can pull from this is this. Remember whenever we talked a couple weeks ago how we talked about how there was the Son of God and Son of Man, two different phrases that people would use for the Messiah, that the Christ, that the Son of Man and the Son of God were two different titles that actually led to kinghood uh, and showed this person to be one who basically reigns completely. We went to Jesus as King before Kanye dropped his album, right? We have some good ideas, me and Kanye. No? All right. Sorry. We talked about this one particular verse whenever Jesus and his disciples are sitting around talking. And it says, Jesus and his disciples, Jesus went with his disciples to the village of Caesarea Philippi. And on the way, he asked his disciples, who do the people say I am? They say, some say John the Baptist, and others say Elijah, and others one of the prophets. And he asked them, but who do you say that I am? Peter answered him, you are the Christ. And he strictly charged them to tell no one about him. And he began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things, be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes, and be killed, and on three days rise again. So Jesus was saying that if you look back through the thrust of the Old Testament, yes, you'll see this stuff about this Messiah that's coming, this one who's going to come and restore the world and make it better, but it also points out to the fact that this person is probably going to not have the bestest of days. It's not going to be the easiest. Isaiah 53 goes like this. Who has believed what he has heard from us and who whom the arm of the Lord has been revealed? For he grew up before him like a young plant and like a root out of dry ground. He had no form or majesty that we should look at him and no beauty that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions, he was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace, and with his wounds we are healed. All we, like sheep, have gone astray, we have turned everyone to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth like a lamb that is led to the slaughter and like a sheep that before its shearers is silent, so he opened not his mouth. By oppression and judgment he was taken away, and as for his generation, who considered that he was cut off out of the land of the living, stricken for the transgression of the people? And they made his grave with the wicked and with a rich man in his death, although he had done no violence and there was no deceit in his mouth. Yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him. He has put him to grief. When his soul makes an offering for guilt, he shall see his offspring. He shall prolong his days. Then will the, the will of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. 
Out of the anguish of his soul, he shall see and be satisfied. By his knowledge shall the righteous one, my servant, make many to be accounted righteous, and he shall bear their iniquities. Therefore, I will divide him a portion with the many. He shall divide the spoil with the strong, because he poured out his soul to death and was numbered with the transgressors. He bore the sins of many and makes intercession for the transgressors. In Isaiah 53, we see this verse that is talking about the coming again of the Messiah. And when it's talking about the Messiah, it talks about it in a way that we weren't expecting. Oftentimes we expected this Christ, this Messiah, this anointed one to come. And people were expecting him to come and just reign, to take over, to fulfill those things that were given to Abraham, that uh, the people of God, the Jewish people would be full and numerous, more numerous than the sands on the sky and stars on the seashore, that they would have a land that is their own, that they would control and would be theirs, and that he would be the one to ensure they had political power throughout. That's what people expected the Messiah to do, to be one who came and just reigned like a king and brought the kingdom into status, brought it into effect. But in Isaiah, we start to see this thing where the king who's coming is doing something a little different than we could ever expect. He was oppressed, he was broken, he was pierced, and he was killed for the people, for us. We're not looking for a king who is coming to reign through force. We see one who chooses to come and who offers himself out of love. Now, this concept of being willing sacrifices underwrites a ton of the Old Testament. If you walk all the way back to Abraham, at one point Abraham is called by God to go and offer his son Isaac as a sacrifice, right? He says, come up onto this mountaintop, offer your son up. And Abraham had to trust that God was going to do something to ensure that what God had said would happen would still happen. Because if this is the only son Abraham has, what's going to happen with that promise that God made if God hasn't killed his son? And whenever Abraham is ready to sacrifice Isaac, an angel stayed his hand and said, no, wait, here's a lamb, a ram caught up in these bulrushes. This is the sacrifice for you. You see, God took what he had asked for and he provided relief himself, right? God said this sacrifice is necessary, but then he provided a means for the sacrifice to occur. He offered something else. And then even with that, we see that the wages of sin is death. We understand that people deserve to be broken for who we are because we choose to disobey God. It happens every day. But even in the Old Testament, we see other ways in which God provided to cover for that atonement, to cover for that sin. This is what the sacrificial system was about. Every day, twice a day, the people of Israel would sacrifice two lambs. Every day, just to offer as a sacrifice for the sins of the people before God. And on the biggest day of the year, Yom Kippur, they would do this. The priests, this is who this is being spoken to right now. The priests were told, it says, and he shall take from the congregation of the people of Israel two male goats for a sin offering and one ram for a burnt offering. Aaron shall offer the bulls a sin offering for himself and shall make atonement for him in his house. And he shall take two goats and set them before the Lord at the entrance of the tent of meeting. And Aaron shall cast lots over the two goats, one for the Lord and the other lot for Azazel, which is actually just the Hebrew word for uh, goat who goes away. <laughs> Ain't Right? Azazel sounds so much cooler. It's like a demon or something? No, it's just a goat who goes. A scapegoat. And Aaron shall present the goat on which the lot fell for the offering and use it as a sin offering. 
But the goat of which the lot fell for his angel shall be presented alive before the Lord to make atonement over it, that it may be sent away into the wilderness to his angel. And when he said above, you have neither desired. Oh, that's a different verse. Boom. On Yom Kippur, this ceremony occurred every year on behalf of the people and their sins. The priest would purify the entire temple. The priest would be purified himself as much as possible. And then for one day a year, he would step into the Holy of Holies and offer a sacrifice on behalf of the people and all of their sin. And that sacrifice would be killed and its blood would be sprinkled onto the altar and onto the uh, mercy seat, which is part of the Ark of the Covenant. And then he would take that same blood and he would walk out and he would cleanse the temple with it, covering over the sins of the people. And only that, but he would take a different goat, a scapegoat, and all the sins of Israel would be placed onto it. And it would be kicked out into the wilderness to go and survive. In future times, uh, and some of the times beyond this, when people were about what would happen, they actually said the scapegoat, they would put it, all the sins of Israel on it, and then back it up to a cliff and throw it off a cliff. Right? Yeah, that's about the best way to go. And it's super weird, because whenever Jesus is being spoken to, by John the Baptist, whenever he's being proclaimed, he has proclaimed the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Then following his baptism, he's immediately set out into the wilderness to his angel. He's fulfilling the role of the scapegoat already, taking the people's sins on himself and going out into the wilderness with them. But instead of going out into the wilderness and being destroyed, he went out there and survived. And he overcame that broken wilderness. And then beyond that, he took on the role of the atoning lamb as well. He took on the role of the atoning lamb as well. He took on the role of the lamb who uh, was sacrificed on behalf of the people. That's what the cross was about. He didn't just take on the role of the lamb that the sins were placed upon. He also did the necessary act to overcome sin. You see, whenever the people of Israel would offer sacrifices beforehand. They would have to offer them regularly on a day-by-day -day basis, on a year-by-year -year basis, because while these sacrifices were ones that could cover over sin, they could not remove it. They weren't good enough. They weren't pure, complete sacrifices. They could cover sin somewhat, but they were never perfect. It sort of goes back to whenever uh, we're trying to figure out the state of people, right? Just having that sacrifice made for us wasn't enough because we're still sucky. If all my past sins are covered, my current sin still reigns. In the book of Hebrews, we see that whenever he said above, you have neither desired nor taken pleasure in sacrifices and offerings and burnt offerings and sin offerings. These are offered according to the law. Then he added, behold, I have come to do your will. He does away with the first in order to establish the second. He does away with the law of God so that the will of God can be taken. And by that we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. And every priest stands daily at his service offering repeatedly the same sacrifices which can never take away sins. But when Christ has offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the throne of God, waiting from that time until his enemy shall be made a footstool for his feet. For by a single offering, he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. You see, Jesus' sacrifice is much greater than the sacrifice of the Old Testament. Because his sacrifice, once and for all, covered over all sin. 
I don't need to offer daily sacrifices anymore because his sacrifice was enough. He has covered over sin and death and brokenness, and he has made it possible for us to be alive in him. So what? Whenever we see Jesus on the cross, we sometimes remember that this is who he is. This is what he's done for us, right? He was willing to take on death for us. He didn't have to, but he chose to. Whenever the Last Supper was given, whenever he was put in communion for the first time, he offered his body and said it is broken for you, and he offered his blood poured out for you. He was pointing back to what was going to be happening in the Old Testament. That this is who Jesus is and what he said he'd do. What can we take away from this? Some very simple things. If that is what Jesus was willing to do for you, if that is how much he loves you, that matters. My takeaways aren't the best. I'm tired, you can tell. Yeah. Takeaway one, you matter to God. Far more so than you can probably even imagine. He was willing to take on death for you. Because he loves you. Take away two. He poured out his life for his enemies, which was us. And he calls for us to be like him. You know that Christian just means little Jesus, right? Little Christ. We're just supposed to be little images of him that walk throughout the world as followers of his. If he's willing to make that kind of sacrifice, what kind of sacrifices are you willing to make on his behalf? How much are you willing to give up of yourself so that he could be glorified? How much are you willing to say, my will doesn't matter, your will be done? Because the answer to that should be a lot, right? He gave everything for us. It is a little thing to give of ourselves for him. This sort of kills the entire concept of the prosperity gospel, which makes me happy. I enjoy watching that die. If Jesus is the most perfect and faithful person who has ever lived, and he was ridiculed, despised by man, suffered, and died, what can we expect whenever we walk through our faith? can't expect Bentleys. I can't expect being happy all the time. I can't expect for everything to be good and well at all times. Instead, I can expect for my life to be broken at times too. That's a helpful thing. Like, have you guys ever just sat here and wondered, why, Lord, I'm so faithful and yet so much crap is happening to me? This makes me feel bad. I don't like it, right? This is my biggest takeaway from this. It's the fact that, hey, you know what? Jesus was right there with you. (laughs) He has gone through more than you and I ever could. And he deserved it far less than we ever did. Our faith is often less about how we live our lives whenever we are happy and well. Our faith is often demonstrated by how we live whenever we are stressed and tired and broken and despised by men. Do we in those times offer ourselves up to God too? Do we offer ourselves over to him to do his will? And one very, very practical takeaway. Jesus offered himself wholly, fully, and freely for you, right? And we're supposed to be like him.
Who among you, what have you done to sacrifice of your happiness, of your time, of your freedom on behalf of someone else? What are you doing to show the same love that Christ showed you? You have been freed from your sin, freed from your debt, and you have the freedom to live. How are you using that life? Are you using it to glorify him and lift others up, or are you using it for your own happiness, contentment, and benefit? See, doing one of those things looks a lot like Jesus, and doing the other one does not. And that is my end of my depressing sermon today. Please forgive me for my tiredness. We can all revel in the fact that Christ loves us. Even in the midst of sickness and tiredness and children never sleeping. And, right? Right? Even in the midst of pain and suffering, we can still revel in the fact that God is love. And he is good. So let's remember that today. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, you are good. I pray that you would be so apparent in our lives. Lord, allow us to recognize the sacrifice you made on our behalf. Allow us to recognize the fact that you are the only sacrifice we need. Pray that as we come to you today, may you, Lord, may you make us aware of you. May you open up our eyes and our hearts to see you. And as we go out into the world, Lord, may we look and see and be discerning as to who needs to see that sacrificial love that you offer. How can we sacrifice of ourselves for our friends, for our families, for our kids, for our coworkers, that they may catch glimpses of the goodness of who you are? Give us wisdom as we're seeking out ways to show you to the world. And Lord, may everything be about you. I pray you overcome sickness. I pray you overcome winter. I look forward to when you return. Pray we pray, Jesus.